You've always been looking for something. That something that sets you apart. That something that makes you more than the person you're living as. More into the person you were created to be. What others see as mundane, you see as magnificent. You catch a glimpse of something new and it becomes something significant. It's that something extra that keeps you up at night. The hours pass by while everyone else sleeps. You dream, you imagine, you envision what your life might be. What if you were born for more? There's got to be more than just this. I want to be used. That's your greatest wish. The demand for you has always been true. You are gifted and passionate. Add God's purpose to this and watch what he can build. Now, what would you do with what you've been given? Will you put it into motion? Will you take on the responsibility? Will you follow after the calling God has placed on your life? To be fulfilled? To be engaged? To cast out all fears, doubts and uncertainties? To stand strong? To rise up? To become who you were created to be? Who is the prodigy in you? Well, good morning and welcome back to Startup. I am pleased to introduce to you Sean Spurlock. Sean, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Drew. So Sean is an entrepreneur and he is the owner of Two Cities Pizza up in Mason. And I invited Sean to be with us today to share with us a little bit of what it has been like for him as he has launched that startup over the last year and a half, even as we're kind of going through this startup journey together, uh, looking at, at Jesus' organization. So Sean, thanks for being here. And... Uh, your parents were actually some of the first people that I met uh, when I was here at Horizon, but you've been a part of Horizon's story too, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I've, been, um, I've come to Horizon for a couple years with my family, graduated from Miami Valley Christian across the road, and you know, really met you and got to know you at the Horizon Leadership uh, like Global Seminar, mm-hmm. um, yep. and I just love the Horizon community. Yeah, yeah. And so you're... A little over a year now uh, into your startup at Two Cities. So what is something that has been exciting for you, something that you've really enjoyed as you've been giving leadership to that? Definitely studying the idea of leadership, um, which, is, which can be a lot of responsibility, and you, you definitely feel that. But for us being in the restaurant industry, it's called the hospitality industry. And sure. so we've really tried to study that and take that to heart because it, it, it's all about people. And my time at Miami Valley and here at Horizon has taught me to, or taught me to, um, prioritize people, and that helps with not just our customers, but mostly with our staff. Sure, I remember. Uh, so when I first met Sean, went up to Two Cities Pizza before they had opened. So they were still doing construction. You know, ovens weren't turned on yet, and I don't even think staff had been hired or anything. Um, and I remember you telling me that, that, hey, we want this to be a place that prioritizes people. And I was thinking, I thought you wanted this to be a place you make pizza. <laughs> and, uh, and you told me, you know, it's, people are just so important. You want your customers to have a good experience, your staff to have a good experience. And I remember thinking, sure, that, that sounds good, you know, and, and maybe that's one of those like, because if people feel good, they buy more pizza. I, I don't know. I, maybe it's a skeptic in me. But 
what are some of the priorities that you've actually put in place to try to maintain that, not just as a nice big idea, but something you really do from day to day? Right. So at that point when we were talking, we were in the process of hiring our staff. And mm-hmm. our team ended up being a lot bigger than we thought it would be. It, it ended up being a little bit north of 70 people. Mm. And for us, in a startup phase, it was a lot to manage. So our main priority shifted from what's our customer experience going to be like to what's our staff experience going to be like. Mm. So thinking about hospitality, we sort of clarified our vision. There's fruits of hospitality, which are giving a great guest experience, which are the customer having a smile when they leave and and telling their friends and family. But the roots of hospitality for us are um, selflessness, optimism, unity on our team. So really we try to Mm. focus hospitality on our team and then we hope that that genuineness of it being a root will result in that fruit yeah. um, with our business. So that sounds really so. So selflessness. <laughs> tell me again. So selflessness, which we really just explain it as putting others before yourself, which uh-huh. is like the golden rule, which is such sure. a biblical principle, but it relates to the entire world where um, you're, you're with people all the time. So that's a really wonderful way to show someone I'm on your team yeah. because I'm going to try to put myself. You before you before right. me. Yeah. Um, and optimism is just that um, that belief that we have hope and we do have an ultimate hope. But why do we? You know, how can we come back from a really bad interaction sure. with a customer when we do make mistakes, which we do? How can we overcome that? Yeah. And then just the unity of making sure people know we're on their team. They have a place in which they can work and have respect, but love also. Yeah. Well, I, so I heard you say those are those are biblical principles, and, and I love that because. Like, obviously, full disclosure, I work here. <laughs> I have to tell you that this is valuable when I pick up the Bible, but that's what I'm always looking for, right, is, is do I read it and then set it aside so I can go live life, or does it actually come with me and help me? And so I'm, I'm hearing that from you. But what makes that um, challenging? You know, what, what has helped you as you've gotten into this and life gets busy, especially in a startup, to help you really kind of stay on that track? The way we've thought about it now after being open to gear is that that hospitality vision for us is really like the North Star. You can look at it and move towards it, but you never really fully get there because, in truth, life is hard and dealing with people is so difficult. It's the hardest part of our business. It is a people business, so if it's not an issue with the customer, it's always an issue with our staff. You know, last night's Saturday night, our busiest night of the week, and I could rattle off probably five or ten different sure. things that we... You know, had to have a corrective conversation that was tough to have, but part of that hospitality is not wussing out on having hard conversations. And we've mm-hmm. learned that that kind of the hard way that you can't be a pushover. You, you can give supportive love and you can sometimes give tough love. And mm-hmm. that is where you get that respect to yeah. um, in that area. Yeah. And, and I remember you, uh, we were talking a couple weeks ago and you shared with me a little bit of, of how you had to get away to kind of redefine what, what those priorities were. Yeah, I mean, life, that was just a few weeks ago, but so many things were, were sort of swirling with, within our team and our staff and our customers that just really felt overwhelmed and didn't, didn't have my priorities straight. So I took a complete day mm-hmm. and prayed and read the Bible and actually wrote out what my, my priorities were wow. and then, you know, boiled it down to like four priorities. Like, okay, I haven't been prioritizing those. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a, a reality check, yeah. and so really had to write them out and see them daily for it to get through my head. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Well, Sean, thanks for being here. I, I, I love kind of what you've shared and how you prioritize and how you think about people, because as we've been looking at Jesus Startup, 
this passage that we're going to hit today, the opponents of Jesus show up to tell him that he's got the wrong priorities. And he kind of pushes back on them that they've gotten so focused on the work that they're doing that they've kind of lost sight of the relationship that was originally most important to them. So Sean, thank you for being here, my man. I appreciate it. And you guys can think about that while you listen to this. Man, do you know how that feels? That moment when you think to yourself, there was something that that you started with that you were really excited about, that that you were doing this work. You know, like, like I, I took that job because I wanted to create opportunities for my family. And now I'm so busy doing that job, I don't have time to spend with my family. Or... Or I took that job because, man, when I, when I heard about that company, when I started that company, I was so in love with the vision, just the priorities of everything that they were trying to do. And now the tyranny of the urgent has just taken over and reprioritized, and I don't love it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm so busy doing work that I forget what I really wanted to do in the first place. See, that's what happens when our priorities get out of whack. But we've got an opportunity today to see how the priorities of Jesus, visionary leader of his own startup, how the priorities of Jesus can help us prioritize thoughtfully. Now, one of the dangers in the world is that if you don't set your priorities, someone else will prioritize for you, right? If you don't say, this is what matters to me, then everything else around you is going to say, do this, do this, do this, stay on top of that, follow up with this, and then you lose track of what really mattered to you, right? And so I understand that it can be a a little strange then to come to this and say, you need to set your priorities, by which I mean Jesus should set your priorities. (laughs) All right, I know that's a little bit loaded, but I think as we look at this, one of the things that you're going to see is that Jesus could be pulled in a lot of different directions, yet a lot of different people that he was talking to, but he always kept his priorities clear, and I think that they are unique to him, but valuable to us. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today. And we've been exploring that as we've started this journey because we've met a number of people already. We met Dr. Luke, ably played by Chad Hovind, who shared with us how he wanted to take a professional approach to Jesus. This man who could supposedly do miracles, who could heal people without even touching them. Well, Luke wants to get the facts. Luke wants to get the eyewitness accounts. We met Peter, the expert fisherman, a successful businessman who, when he faced Jesus, saw something in himself he'd never seen before, and how Jesus showed him the potential that he had. We met a man with leprosy, a man who everybody could see his need, who discovered that his need might be more than just what was on the surface. That's the same thing that the paralyzed man understood when Jesus said, I forgive you. And then just at the end of last week, we met this man named Levi, also called Matthew, a tax collector, probably wealthy, but not well-liked because everybody knew that tax collectors were crooked. He probably didn't have any need that he couldn't meet himself, and yet he must have had this sense that there had to be more to life than what his priorities had been, because when he met Jesus, it says that he left everything and followed him. But what happened next is what I really want you to pay attention to, because Levi went home, invited all of his crooked tax collector friends over, 
and threw a party for Jesus, right? This moment that when he found something so amazing, he had to share it with his friends. You know what that's like. And so Jesus is at their house. There's probably a lot of food, a lot of stuff to drink, and they are just celebrating, and and Jesus is hobnobbing and getting to know all kinds of people that Matthew has invited over. And that's where our story picks up today in Luke chapter 5, verse 33, because there was this group called the Pharisees. And as they see this party going on, they weren't invited. (laughs) And they're kind of doing this thing, walking by the door like, what are they... What are they doing in there? What's what's Jesus doing in there? And it says in verse 33, They said to Jesus, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees? But you guys are partying. Yours eat and drink. And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. See, this is essentially a a priority question. They ask him, why aren't you fasting? Now, fasting was more than just like a weight loss program. The idea here was that this was actually a religious ritual. This was something that God had described for his people earlier in the Bible that he said, you know, at these certain times, fast. A word that means to deny yourself of physical pleasures, whether that be food or drink, physical comforts. And use that time for self-reflection, to reflect on God, to check how that relationship is doing. But what the Pharisees had turned it into was just ritual. And so where God had it set up for certain days during the year, they said, well... If you're really going to please God, if you really want to be religious, hey, let's do it Tuesdays and Thursdays. So Tuesday, oh, you're fasting? Well, it is Tuesday. And it lost almost all purpose. It became simply empty ritual for them, an outward show of how spiritual they felt like they were, that they wanted people to see that. And they would go around moping and so that everybody would know this is my day of, of fasting. It, it was an outward show But there wasn't anything inward going on. And so Jesus answers their question with his question about the bridegroom. Now, I don't know about you, and maybe this just shows a problem in me, but when I hear about weddings, like I remember the season of my life where all of a sudden, like all of my friends are getting married. And I always had pretty much two questions. Who's getting married? And what is for dinner? <laughs> right? I mean, but that's part of the fun of a wedding is you see this, this massive banquet hall just laid out for hundreds of friends because we're going to celebrate. And the feast is part of that. And you wouldn't feast without the guest of honor, right? You, you wait for the bride and groom to show up. And so all of us are waiting waiting for them, waiting for that person who we have a relationship. That's why we were invited. You know, they don't invite strangers and enemies to a wedding. They invite friends and family, people they have a relationship with to celebrate with them. But once the guest of honor is there, the fast is over. Now we feast. Jesus is telling the Pharisees that's what this moment is. You know, you guys want to be religious. You want to look like you're tracking with God, but God is here. How much closer can you get to him than to sit at a feast 
with God in the flesh, with Jesus himself. And so he's telling them, you've got to prioritize relationship over ritual. You see, the ritual is the work to do. It's the things that we can get so focused on that all we're doing is checking boxes instead of really diving deep into who God is and how he wants to know us. So let me tell you this morning, for everything else that we talk about with priorities, for everything else we talk about, about how to keep them straight and how to think through things and how to apply that, this is the foundation right here. Jesus was here to show you that you are a priority to God. Jesus was here to show you that you are a priority to God. Every man, woman, and child in this building right now, and guess what? Even when you leave this building, you're a priority to him. He he wants a relationship with you. He desires to know us and for us to know him. Now, depending on maybe what your background is like, maybe the way you were raised, you know, this can change the way that you think about God. I know this is something that I have to come back to on a regular basis because it's easy for me to slip into kind of that Pharisee mindset. And how do I make sure that God likes me today? You know, and to kind of feel that anxiety of like, I've got to do enough good things or at least not do so many bad things. Or, and, then, and then I'll be able to say, look, God, I'm likable. Right? But, but listen to what Jesus is telling them. Because what I just described for you that, that we often fall into, that's really more like Santa Claus, isn't it? He knows if you're sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good. We think about God that way often, don't we? That he's just kind of like this cosmic rule giver and he puts it all out there and our job is to do it right and then he'll let us know if we get coal or a present. But that's not God. I don't know about you, but for all the years when I was littler and I was worried about if Santa saw me do that, (laughs) or I hope Santa saw me do that, I had no personal relationship with Santa Claus. (laughs) If you did, we should probably talk about that. But here's the difference with God. You see, God loves you as his child. God wants to know you personally. It, It helps me, maybe it helps you to think about it this way. I'm a dad, and so we do bedtime. And we definitely have a bedtime ritual. And if you have kids, you probably remember this, right? So for us, the ritual is we pick a book, we pick a CD, we sing a song, we say a prayer, good night, good night, good night, good night, bedtime. But that can happen a couple different ways, can't it? This is one of our favorite books. I cannot tell you how many times I've read this book. Um, Fortunately, I like this book because <laughs> this one gets picked a lot, but sometimes bedtime goes like this. Once there was a peddler who sold caps, but he was not like an ordinary peddler carrying his wares on his back. He carried them on top of his head. First, he had on his own checked cap, then a bunch of gray caps, then a bunch of brown caps, then a bunch of blue caps, and on the very top, a bunch of red caps. Okay, that's one way to read a story, right? And we're enjoying bedtime together. Here's the other way. Oh my word, caps for sale again? This book, look look how many pages there are. I mean, there's not that many words, but there's more than, okay. Once upon a time, there was a guy who sold caps and then some monkeys showed up, the end. All right, go to sleep. Now, parents, freedom. 
I know that happens. I've done it more than once. But think about it. When I put that book down, then I say, hey, I'm a good dad, right? I did the thing. I read the book. That's ritual. Right? To be able to say, hey, I I read the book. I did the thing. We're good here, right? But it's different, isn't it? And you feel the difference because that turns it into empty ritual. But when I slow down, when I enjoy the book, when I do the voices, when we sing the song at the normal speed instead of three times speed, you know, then even though we're doing the same things, instead of being an empty ritual, it becomes quality time with someone I love. That's what Jesus wanted to emphasize for them in their priorities is that it's easy for the Pharisees, it's also easy for us to come to God and say, what are the things I got to do? How do I just get this right? But he's really saying, hey, you know, we can do those things. You know, how much you read your Bible, how much you pray, how many weekends you're at Horizon, whatever it is, that we can start saying, I haven't missed my Bible reading for 32 days. I haven't missed a Horizon weekend for 15 years. You know, whatever it is, those can be good things, but those can also become empty ritual. We want them to be quality time with somebody who loves us, somebody we love. You see, and that's where these traditions that the Pharisees had started. They wanted to honor God. They, they wanted to do things his way, but they got so trapped in this tradition that they lost sight of the actual relationship. And so in verse 36, Jesus actually gives them a, a, a couple examples, a couple illustrations to help break this down. And one of those is the idea that no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. The idea simply being that the old garment has already shrunk. If you put a new piece on and then it shrinks, it'll pull away from the the old garment and now both of them are ruined. The other picture he gives them is a picture of wineskins. That no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. See, this picture is coming from the vineyard, something that would have been familiar to them. Because when you take a wineskin, a new wineskin, and you put new grape, new grape juice into it, then as the grape juice ferments, it gives off gases, expands, and the wineskin expands with it, and then you have a great vintage. Well, Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to ruin a great vintage... You put new wine in old wine skins because those old wine skins have stretched as far as they can. Those old traditions that the Pharisees were following had stretched as far as they could, but now Jesus was doing something new. You see, Jesus knew that the laws that God had given his people were not because he's just a cosmic rule keeper. The idea was that the laws that he'd given his people were meant to bless them, to help them know how to live in such a way that They are blessed themselves, that they bless other people, that they avoid hurting themselves and avoid hurting other people as they grow in relationship with God. But the Pharisees had added many, many things even to what God had commanded. And so as Jesus challenges them to prioritize relationship over ritual, the second thing is that he also invites them to prioritize people over policy. And they had a lot of policies. Here's an example of one. It says that it happened on the second Sabbath, after the first, that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
Now that word Sabbath, if you don't know, just means seven. It was the idea God gave his people that on the seventh day of the week, one day a week, we rest. We don't do any work. And really God created that because he knows we need rest. Some time to spend with him, some time to spend with family, to recharge, to recuperate. And so that's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, that that shouldn't be too hard to do, not work. Okay, so, you know, don't go into the office and don't try to answer a bunch of emails, maybe not get on that conference call, you know. Um, Simple things. Well, not so simple. (laughs) Because then you say, but if I really want God to love me, or you know, I do have that really big meeting tomorrow, I better extra obey God today so he'll make that meeting go well tomorrow and the sale will go through. And so they started adding all of these other things. It started from a good place, but one example of that was that they would take the grain and they would say, you cannot plow, you cannot harvest, you cannot do anything, that's work. So now they see Jesus walking through the field. They not only pluck some of it, they rub it together in their hands, blow away the chaff and begin to eat. Well, now to the Pharisees, we have both harvested and threshed and we're working. That's working on the Sabbath. You are guilty of breaking God's law. Well, even more than that, they are really creative. Here's one that I love. You can't plow on the Sabbath. I mean, I guess I get that. That that sounds like work. You can, write this down, spit on the Sabbath. Thank goodness, I have a lot of spitting to do. (laughs) Okay, you can spit on the Sabbath. Ah, however, if you spit and it hits the dirt and the dirt moves, you, my friend, have plowed on the Sabbath. You are guilty of breaking God's law. Another example, they would say that if you throw a ball up with your right hand and catch it with your right hand, hey, that's all right. If you throw a ball up with your right and catch it with your left, oh, that's work. I mean, because this hand was already up here to catch the ball, right? But you just made another hand move. That's too much. I've even heard that they would count the number of steps they could take on the Sabbath. And once you hit a certain number, you're done for the day. Any more steps and that's too many. That's work. Fortunately, you could walk backwards because those don't count as real steps. Now, come on, is that not more work than just walking forward? So it sounds goofy to us, but we share that mindset sometimes, right? That we've just got to figure out maybe just a little bit more. Maybe if I just did this, if I just did that. And what happens is they're so focused on appearing outwardly to be in line with God's priorities that they'd actually lost track of God And they're now prioritizing all of these rules over people. So to make this clear, in verse 3, Jesus tells them a story from, where else? The Bible. He says, have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now look, the Pharisees are like the religious elite. They have absolutely read about David. He was the greatest king in Israel's history, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived, not only their political leader as king, but also their spiritual leader, as he wrote many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms that would lead the people into the worship of God. Yes, they have read that. But that's kind of Jesus' point. He's almost saying, you've read this, haven't you? And you still missed it. And so he says, when David was hungry and those who were with him, he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him. 
which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. You see, what he's saying is God actually had this command that the showbread was for the priests, but now here comes David and his soldiers, and they ate the showbread. Well, that, you can't, but I thought. See, David and his men were starving, and Jesus is saying, the policy matters, but the people were more important. And then he gives them this line. He said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So they're saying, we want to honor the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, the Sabbath is about rest, but it's also about people. In fact, in another place, Jesus taught that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man wasn't created to make the Sabbath look good. That day of rest was given so that man could enjoy it with God. And then he tells them, and besides, me, I, Jesus, the Son of Man, who stand before you, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. All right, I made this thing. I get to decide how the Sabbath goes. Now, can you imagine their response to his statement? That he looks them right in the eye and he says, you think you know how to, how to please God on the Sabbath? I made the Sabbath. Take my word for it. Your priorities are out of whack. All right, this is one of those moments where they shift from people asking questions to enemies trying to catch him. That their faces go from hmm to hmm. Because he just told them that everything that they've been trying to do essentially was empty ritual. I heard a story from the uh, first CEO ever of IBM who said that recently I was asked if I was going to fire an employee who made a mistake that cost the company $600,000, over half a million dollars. No, I replied. I just spent $600,000 training him. Why would I want somebody else to hire his experience? No, when I first read that, I, I thought, okay, there must be something in there that's good for the company, right? Like... Maybe the guy learned a little bit, and so he thinks, boy, does he think that guy's going to make him $600,000 back? Shouldn't he make an example of this guy so that everybody knows we can't afford this kind of mistake, and if you cause it, you're out, so that we keep that from happening in the future? And it took me a minute to think through this, and I realized he was prioritizing people over policy. You know, policy may be you made a mistake, therefore you should be out. Right? But to put the employee first, to look beyond the mistake to the potential, instead of just saying, you cost me $600,000, now you will have to suffer for that, to, to just imagine the face of that employee when he comes into work and like on the way through the door, somebody says, hey, Jim, you know that thing? That thing you thought was going to work? That didn't work, man. <laughs> that didn't work. And the boss is waiting for you in your office. The boss, you mean like the boss? And to step in and find out that instead of being fired, the boss says, hey, what what can we learn from this that'll make us better going forward? Can we think about God that way? That, That sometimes we think, oh, that thing I did. Oh, and he's waiting for me. Oh, this is gonna be bad. What if, like Peter and 
the man with leprosy and, and the paralyzed man and Levi? What, what if God is actually just waiting to say, hey, what do we learn from this? Because I see a lot of potential in you. Why don't you and I go grab some lunch? What if we could prioritize people over policy whenever possible, just like God does for us? I, th- I think that's how you've got to think through that question. Because the, the policies are important. You know, if, if, if you work in a company, if you're in a business, if you start a business, you know there's some things that have to be in place to kind of help us keep moving in the right direction. Otherwise, we all go off in a million ways and we never get where we're trying to go. But how do we prioritize people even more? You know, how would you want that policy applied to you in a given situation? That's one of the things that I've been learning here at Horizon. And one of the things that I just, I love here. Um, in case you don't know, I've only been here for about a year and a half, actually, on staff. And I'm a black and white thinker. I'm a strategic thinker. I need, I need to know, like, this rule, that rule, this policy, that policy, because then I can put them all in place, and I'll know exactly how we're doing what we're going to do. And the thing that I just keep hearing from, from Pastor Chad, from our CEO, from different leaders that I'm working with, from people who have been here and people who have experienced it, is, hey, people over policy. Hey, it's all about relationships. Like, right, right. So... So we're going to do it this way, and we're going to do it this way, and we're going to do it, right? You know, it's so easy to fall right into that. But then to step back and say, okay, if it's really people, then maybe I know that these things are important, but I'm actually talking to this person. And so how do we put those two things together to benefit this person, to help this person grow, to help that family connect, whatever that may be? I think that's one of the ways that as we see ourselves gathered here together as a part of Jesus' startup, that we're trying to continue doing what Jesus is doing. You know, it, they give him uh, one more attack in this little passage, and you can see how they've moved from, hey, how come you guys aren't fasting? And, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that on a Sabbath, to, watch what happens. Now it happened on another Sabbath, also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. No longer curious, now it's accusation. And think about this. What do they know about Jesus? Hey, watch this guy, he might show compassion. Hey, watch this guy, he he can do healings. Maybe we can catch him compassionately healing someone. Maybe we can catch him with the priorities that we should have had in the first place. So I love what happens. It says, but he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, arise, stand here. See, this is Jesus prioritizing others over himself. I think that's, as we go through this, this study, everything is centered on Jesus. And there's nothing that he teaches us that he hasn't already done first. That if we're invited to prioritize the needs of others over our own wants, Jesus is doing that right now. It just said he knows their thoughts. He, I mean, probably other people could read it too. They're here to accuse him. They are against him. And so the safe thing would be, hey, hands withered. Let's just leave it alone. Let's kind of slip out the back. Because Jesus has other things to keep working on, right? I can't deal with this right now. But he doesn't. 
He doesn't even do it sneakily. He doesn't say, hey, let's go over here. He has the man stand up in front of everybody. You want to see what I prioritize? He has the man stand up in front of everybody, and he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to him, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Miraculous. And notice how closely Luke, the doctor, records these details. He's the only one who tells us it was his right hand. He's specific, because this would matter to a physician. And the response of the Pharisees, they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. See, what Jesus is doing here is pretty radical. Uh, Somebody described uh, a TED Talk to me recently where the man was explaining how all of us should try to do things that benefit other people because then they'll feel good and they'll try to do things that help other people and eventually that will come back to you and that's kind of good for the community. Now, it's not that that isn't true, but look at what Jesus is doing. He says, I'm going to meet the needs of other people even though it's not going to come back to me, even though I'm going to have to give something up, even though this group of people, because of the good I'm doing, are eventually going to be a part of the plot to kill him. That ultimately, Jesus went to the cross because you're a priority to him and I'm a priority to him. There was nothing that he got out of it except a relationship with us to prioritize the needs of others over myself. And so I wonder, maybe you feel like Peter, maybe you feel like that man with leprosy, maybe you feel like this man. Is there something in your life that feels withered? Something in your life that makes you say, there's got to be more than this. Something in your life that, that makes you say, I would love to know what a relationship with God could really look like, but this thing has been too painful. Is it possible that you are such a priority to him that he's saying, hey, stand there and open your hand? Is it possible that he could take the things that feel like they're broken, are broken, and heal us. Is it possible that we could do that for others? I think that's the question it it leaves me with today. What are my priorities? And I love how Sean shared that he actually had to take a full day to get away (laughs) and think about what those priorities were and actually write them down. And I would say, oh, that's nice for you, (laughs) except I've done that too. And I can remember a breakfast that my my wife and I went out a couple of years ago and sat down at a table, and without talking, we each wrote down our top five priorities. And then we shared, and they didn't match. And so we stayed at that table until we had the same top five, and we had them in the same order. And I cannot tell you how much that has helped our marriage, our relationship with our kids, uh, even doing things like 
uprooting the family and moving away from both of our extended families to come to Cincinnati, Ohio was surprisingly more simple than it sounds because when we looked at our priorities, there were things that we believed that we agreed on that led to our decision to come here. And at the very top for us, both of us put, it's our relationship with Christ. Now that is like the churchiest thing I could possibly say to you this morning, isn't it? (laughs) But that's real for me. And that changed things for us. That changed things in our marriage. That changed things in our family. Because then I know that even when we're butting heads on something, both of us are going back and saying, God, what do you think about this? And sometimes the only thing he tells me is, be gentle to your wife. So that when we come back together, hey, look, if nothing else, I want to make sure you know how God loves you as we have this conversation. That's not in me. That's when I go back to Jesus and say, tell me again, what what are your priorities? You know, that's one of those places like I I shared with Sean that I want the Bible to matter. I want it to be important. And it's easy to get caught in ritual. But then you have these moments when you realize, oh, I actually desperately need what this book says to help things in my life go the best possible way that they can. And it doesn't mean there aren't hardships It doesn't mean there aren't still tense moments where we have to find those lists and say, what on earth were we even talking about that day? But knowing kind of what the foundation is helps us there. So think about some of these questions. what, What are your priorities with God? Have you ever tried to prioritize a relationship with him? Not a, God, will you keep the lightning bolts to yourself if I at least go to church this many times a month? But a relationship with him. That that those things become quality time with someone you love. You know, how could that shape the priorities for your family? For the things that you do with your time, with your resources, with your influence. You know, when you go back into your place of work, do you say, I want to bless my staff. I want to bless my customers. I mean, to think that a staff is here for 40 or 50 hours every week, do I want to bless them in such a way that when they leave this place and go back to their families, their families are better off because they've been here. And what would it look like to prioritize other people in need, not only when it's easy, but even when we have to give something up? You know, that's part of what we've been thinking about as we've gone through this startup. And you've got that insert in the program that has those five ways to start up with Horizon. And you don't even have to pull it out now, but you know, just look at that sometime because you'll see on there that, that it'd be easy to take those things and say... Here's the five things you should do. You got work to do. Get started. And if you do all five, then you'll really be on track with God. So just hear me tell you this morning, the goal of these things is that these are really environments that we're creating to help you get to know God better. To see how you can prioritize others by serving, by getting involved locally, globally. To prioritize others like Jesus prioritizes you. I hope you experience that here at Horizon. I know that I have because that's really one of the hallmarks of what we want this place to be all about. Is that every time I walk in here, I'm not thinking about what's in it for me. I'm thinking about how can I prioritize someone else? How can I make space for my friends, for my neighbors, to give them an opportunity at the kind of relationship with God that I've found? And so I'd actually like you to watch a video. This is an interview with uh, Pastor Chad and Pastor John talking even about our two-service design and how that's part of our intent to prioritize our friends. Let's watch. 
Well, it was about 15 years ago, I met John Kirby and the leadership team at Horizon Community Church. Yes, and we wined and dined you and uh, convinced you to come be a part of our staff. Yeah, at the time we had our office building in Fairfax and we were meeting at Cincinnati Country Day School for church services. And that's when I met and uh, really was taken by this two-service design of creating services, one for people who are committed to Christ followers and the other for folks who are just kicking the tires in Christianity. So uh, you wanted to dine me at the Fairfax uh, Skyline Chili, my first experience there, and I really felt that vision for reaching people where they were was really compelling. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we convinced you to eat Skyline Chili, but at least we convinced you to come. So. Sure. But yeah, at that point, uh, on a good Sunday, we would have a couple hundred people on Sunday morning, but only 30 or 40 on Wednesday night. So in bringing you, we were hoping you could really help us do a better job on Wednesday night, really. Yeah, so I came as a teaching pastor on Wednesday and the creative arts director. And so we started putting together, as you see behind me in this creative room, we design our creative services three to six months, sometimes even two years in advance. As we do that, one of the goals is to create a compelling environment both what was Wednesdays, verse-by-verse Bible teaching, praise and worship, and Sundays, a very high-challenging but using popular classic rock, soft rock, modern rock music to draw people into the messages. Yeah, and I think at that time, uh, the Sunday really just had so much excitement to it. Uh, And you came and really helped us to work on Wednesday, and I think Wednesday was just as good as Sunday by the time you started really helping us. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the elders made the decision to move Wednesday night to Sunday morning, give up one of our two services mm-hmm. because they felt it was so important to have, you know, a, a good group of people really studying the Bible verse by verse on sometime during the week. Yeah, and that was a fun challenge because we had to even more expand. Even in this room today, we go equipping services one column, exploring services the other. Totally different music, 100% different series, 100% different graphics, totally different messages. But to do that on the same day, that meant two different bands, two different uh, run sheets of production runs. Changing the stage. Changing the stage over between, sometimes a 10-minute turnaround. It was a really fun challenge, and to see that, we suddenly had attendance at the equipping service triple, and now we had maybe 75 people coming, maybe 100 people coming equipping, and about 200, 250 at the exploring service back at Cincinnati Country Day. Yeah. Well, and if you fast forward to when we moved down here, if we had 100 to 125 people in the equipping service... And we had 225 people in the uh, exploring service. Those were our two services back in 2010 before we moved. We moved down here, and all of a sudden, both services were just you know jam-packed. And I think that surprised both you and me. It definitely did, <laughs> in a very good way. And a lot of times people think that, uh, like, where do you get this stuff? You get it out of a box or some website you download it from. We design all this stuff original, original scripts, original concepts, original Bible. Um, passages that we're going to choose to go at a certain way. So the elders and I pray about where we're headed in the next two years. Then the creative teams come in place and we start planning three months in advance. And it really goes back to that original vision. The original elders said, why another church in Cincinnati? We felt like there were two bad alternatives in Christendom in America, light and fluffy and dry and dusty. We wanted to be deep and compelling. And to do that, we wanted a verse-by-verse Bible teaching service for committed Christ followers because many of us grew up in that and it really helped us know the Bible and God better. Then we want another distinct service that were aimed not at traditional contemporary, but was really aimed at extremely contemporary, but for unconvinced friends, with music they would recognize from the radio, with uh, topics that would be compelling to them, and the challenging Bible teaching would be very relevant to where they were in their life. And that remains our, our, our real distinctive today. Right. And, you know, as a connections pastor, I get to stand at the front door and ask people, hey, what's 
what first brought you here, what's keeping you coming back. And I hear this every week. They voice it without knowing our mantra, you know, just that they were at a, maybe at no church, and this is the first time they felt like it was worth an hour, and they're actually getting things that they're excited about and want to go apply. Or that, you know, maybe they were at a church where they felt like they were hearing the same thing over and over again, and this is helping them for the first time really dig deeper into the Bible. Yeah, and those that come to our first service, sometimes people migrate from the exploring service for many years. They go, wow, I didn't even realize it was distinct. They come to the first service and say, wow, I want to praise, I want to worship, I want to stand up, I want to engage with God through music, I want to engage in God through prayer. We do communion once a month. And so I think what happens is that people realize wherever you are, there's a next step to grow spiritually. And that's really what we're all about. Yep, yep. And the exciting thing for me is, you know, I was in a church that had great theology. I was there for many years. And my excitement about coming to Horizon was supposedly this was a place where people would come who hadn't been to church in 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I'm glad that we've kept that edge, you know, by protecting the 10, 10 11, 10 service. Uh, because I always want to be a part of a church that has that edge where, you know, new people can be coming in. Yeah, and where you're focused not just on yourselves, but focused on your friends, focused on guests. Even when we came into the new building, we did a study called the Reveal Study, where we uh, surveyed out people coming to the church, and we found two things that were very exciting. One, 53% of the people attending our exploring service at 10-11-10 self-identified as unconvinced about God, Jesus, the Bible, or some distinctive of the Christian faith. They said, I love coming. I love the questions. I love the freedom to doubt. I love the freedom to push back. But I keep coming back even if I don't believe what you believe. And we also found that we had a double the average percentage in America of people who are 20-year-plus Bible veterans saying, I am growing here, I'm being challenged here, and I'm learning things I've never heard before. Yeah. Well, in, uh, back at Country Day School, we were there for 10 years. We used to put a sign out every week, Horizon Community Church, yours to explore. So the thing that I really like is people really do feel like, hey, we're not being pushed. You've got those two different services. I'm not ready for that 8.50 or 4.30 uh -huh. yet. Uh, but uh, I like the fact that I can explore here and go at my own pace. Yeah, and that's still our distinctive today. We are yours to explore. Well, thank you for being here today. I wonder if I could just pray for you before we leave. Father, we are thankful for the way that you love us. We are thankful that even when we are weak, you are strong, that you don't give up on us, but that you keep pursuing us because you want that relationship. Lord, I don't know every person in this room, every heart in this room, or what we're feeling this morning as we listen to this, but I just pray that we might understand a little bit more today of why Jesus was here and why he was here for us. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that you are just resting on people's hearts, that we'd respond to it, that we would hear you and we would just get to know you better. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for this day together, and we just pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I thank you for being here. If any of those uh, five things sounded interesting to you, there's something you want to be a part of or you have questions, please come and ask us, and we will see you next week for more Startup. Thanks for coming.